go. Oh, sweet. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll work it out. Cool. Oh, shit. Fuck. Uh-oh. I just elbowed my beer across the desk. Give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Keyboard. Fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. We're back once again, and Henry's internet problems are all gone. So you're back with me, mate. Good to see you. All gone. Yeah, normal services resumed, so um, <laughs> I'm, I'm back online, which is marvellous. So yeah. Although having said that, I've been having fun with my internet in the last couple of days so hopefully we we won't drop out halfway through this <laughs> i'm just going to keep on talking it doesn't matter that's fair i mean it's your choice this week and we've already discussed pre-podcast that i know nothing about the artist or very little about the artist that you're bringing bringing to the table so who, who do we have so the, the fact that you know nothing about her uh, it's amy mann is interesting the album we're going to talk about is magnolia or the magnolia soundtrack magnolia's film uh, made in 1999 and it kind of shot her to fame but the artist amy mann she's she's won grammys she's been oscar nominated she's appeared in the big lebowski she was an actor in there actress she's been all over the place so she's one of these strange people who crop up in various parts of the media uh, but people don't really know about her yeah and and i've i've heard the name and i'm certain I did some listening to specifically the music that we're going to talk about today. I'm certain that I would know other tracks here and there because she's definitely had radio play on back in the day it would have been XFM and now Six Music. She's she's well known. She was involved in the the 30 songs in 30 days thing around the potential for Trump's presidency and musicians being a bit unimpressed at him as a potential option yeah exactly so she's she's always kind of drifted around the edges of mainstream society and her music is it covers the base of people in bad situations people in hopeless situations and unhappy people with that kind of tinge of optimism all the way around it that's where she sits in the kind of her style of music i'd always assumed she was quite country-ish am i right there or am i off or is that is that too narrow to say she's just that nah way way off totally off. okay let me give you a potted history of amy man cool so she started life she formed a band called till tuesday in the 80s and this band became pretty famous so they had this uh hit called voices carry if you look at it on spotify it's had 22 million listens so it's not like an insignificant song they it's it's, it's a big old number Till Tuesday started when 80s music was becoming power ballad Think of Belinda Carlisle and your Heart and your Duran Durand and your Madonnas all really going for it. And their first album sounds a bit like that. So there's a lot of pop and dance pop and ballads. They were recorded the first album. Then the record label started saying, well, you're quite successful, so we need you to record another album. But we want it more ballady, and we want it more dancey, we want to be more like Duran Duran. And this continued and continued. And she was, she had formed the band and with her bandmate, and she said, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. And at the point where they said, you need to go even more 80s, she went, no, I'm going acoustic and just 
cut ties and, and left. Lots of other bands in that era didn't and just carried on. But she said, no, I don't like doing this stuff anymore. Did the band carry on without her or was that the point where they just stopped? Her band and it ended. Okay. So then she went off to do her own her own thing and she released a couple of albums which were pretty well received but not really in the mainstream. The point that she became popular was Magnolia. Okay. So before then she'd got bit parts. So I mentioned the Big Lebowski. So if if you've seen the Big Lebowski, she's one of the Germans with the missing toe. So she's a German that had, had her toe cut off. That's her. That's Amy Mann. Oh, okay. I didn't I had no idea. I mean, I've watched the Big Lebowski a fair number of times. I had no idea that she was at I didn't know she was in it for starters. Yeah, exactly. So she just popped up as a bit part and she released a song in Sliding Doors, the film. She had a song in that. So she's she crops up in funny places. Okay. But Magnolia is the interesting part. I came across this film when I was in New Zealand and I was I was backpacking and some friends of the family put me up in, in their house and it was the first time in three months I'd not been in a hostel in a dormitory. So I was already weirded out by being in this kind of in a family house. And we all sat down and the kids, their kids had gone to bed and they said, oh, do you, do you smoke? And I said, well, no, but crack on. I, I, I don't mind if you smoke. And the <laughs> friend of mine reached down behind the sofa and pulled out this massive joint. It was like a kind of comedy <laughs> thing. <laughs> mega, <laughs> mega spliff. And he and his wife just, uh, they were in their what? In their late 40s, early 50s, just started smoking this massive joint. And it's, this is New Zealand. Um, and that's what you do in New Zealand. It's almost like older people like to smoke weed as well, <laughs> surprisingly. Well, yeah, exactly. Who does that? So they started smoking this joint and they put Magnolia on for us to watch. So the film Magnolia is totally bonkers in itself. It's got Tom Cruise in it doing this massive, weird self-parody. He got an Oscar nomination for it. It's full of regret and loneliness and raining frogs. Can I interrupt very briefly and say that I have never seen it? Okay, so... <laughs> I mean, if you want to throw spoilers in, I can't really complain because it's been out for 22 years. It's kind of one that... It's so bonkers that it's quite difficult to spoil. It's a bit weird. Some people love it. Some people hate it. It's the kind of film where you'll get film students write, writing essays on it because it's kind of strange and there's all these weird plot lines spiralling in and out. I remember hearing very good things about it. I just I just never it's one of those ones that I just never got around to watching. I assume it's on Prime or Netflix, so maybe I'll watch it this weekend. Check it out. Check it out. It is it is worth it. But the whole way through the movie, it's Amy Mann's soundtrack that that plays to this. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't a coincidence. The director basically heard her music and said, "Can you can you put something together off off the back of a couple of her songs?" Even to the point where halfway through the the film in uh, one of the songs, which is Wise Up, all of the characters start singing to the song. So it's this weird kind of right <laughs> weird point. The, some people hate that point in the movie. I was just weirded out in this little dope-filled room. And some people think it's absolutely kind of cinematic genius. But anyway, that happens partway through the film. But the, every single song appears and, and fits the, mm-hmm. the, the scene that you see in the film. So having had a listen before the podcast to this uh the first thing that struck me obviously was the opening track on on the soundtrack is her cover of one as in one is the loneliest number which 
I really like. It's really good. She's nailed it. Um, so if you don't know the the original, the original's by Harry Nilsson. So Harry Nilsson, American artist, amazing vocal range, and he was he was pretty big. I looked into him actually before this this podcast. He was an IT geek. He was a programmer in a in a bank somewhere. So there's still hope for you then. Well, yeah, he was kind of you know kindred spirit, <laughs> and he started writing music on the side. He got picked up and wrote a couple of songs by like the monkeys he he wrote songs for them then the beatles started um seeing his work they in an interview with john lennon in 1968 they said he was their favorite u.s artist recording at that time wow. so to the point where then lennon and nilson recorded together um recorded an album so oh wow so yeah anyway that's a complete aside but um <laughs> but, but one is an interesting song and it's a lovely way to open an album. She doesn't put any bells and whistles on the original, so she doesn't take it and cover it in a strange way. She just hits it as it's as it originally was recorded. Well, that's that's what I like about it in particular is that there are. I mean, this this song's been covered a lot, right? It's a song that's spoken to a lot of people. The the lyrics talk about a situation that most people have found themselves in at some point of feeling lonely and rejected and and by themselves. And so any song like that that has that level of global awareness is going to get covers. This is a really great cover because it doesn't go schmaltzy and overproduced. It sticks with the raw emotion and you can really feel her feeling that emotion as she sings it, which I really like. And you'll find that throughout the whole album. And actually all of her albums, she does this... And I don't know what it is about her voice and the way she sings this stuff. It, I guess she just means it. Mm-hmm. There's a song in a later album called Labrador where she basically uses her pet dog as a metaphor for all of the times where she's had relationships which have gone wrong and she's kept going back to these people like a, like a Labrador because she wants to be with them and then they've just rejected her. And her music's like that. It's um, mm-hmm. it's It's quite enthralling. Some people will will not get it, but I remember once when... I was at a it was at a party. I think it was a wedding engagement, and I was stood in the corner of the room uh, on my own. And this guy was standing next to me. And we were having a chat about stuff, and we were trying to start conversations, and nothing was going on. And somehow we got onto music, and somehow we got onto Amy Mann. And from that point, this guy totally opened up. He was in his sixties or so, mm-hmm. and he was like, "You like Amy Mann?" And I said, "Yeah, I've just I've literally heard this album," and. From that point on, we spoke for about an hour That's cool. on this thing. And he was telling me all this stuff. And this guy was like, she's literally my kind of, my idol. And, and the way that she, um, her music really connects to me uh, is amazing. I don't think she does that for me, but she does have this certain style where I think, you know, at least three of our 20 listeners will listen to her and go, oh, wow, actually, there's really mm-hmm. something there for me, you know. Yeah, and I think there's an element of that honesty and heart on sleeve approach to music writing generally so john grant is that artist for me who really speaks to me the lyrics really grab me the music style really grabs me i don't know that i've heard enough amy man to decide whether she's that for me there's definitely elements of that and i can see reflections of that if that makes sense she talks about mental illness i looked at a couple of interviews with her She, she has an album called mental illness because it got to the point where 
she got fed up of skirting around the fact that that's a lot of what she talks about. And, and that's, again, really important because I think a lot of people feel lonely, not just because of whatever mental illness they're suffering with, but because they feel like they're the only person that feels like that. So hearing someone singing about that stuff can often help people feel much more accepted, like there's a path or some hopefulness there, something like that. Exactly. And she's got a real way with words about this stuff as well. So, for example, in um, in Magnolia, one of the songs on, uh, there early on is called Deathly, which is one of my absolute favourite songs. And in that song, there's a line that says, I can't afford to climb aboard you. No one's got that much ego to spend. And <laughs> and it's this kind of wonderful way of saying, I, I just don't want to go through this anymore because of who you are. It's It's quite cool. I didn't pick that particular lyric, but I did hear it and it sort of rang and I'm amused by that bell in my head. The one that I picked out that I really liked was from Momentum. The lines at the start of that song, oh, for the sake of momentum, I've allowed my fears to get larger than life and it's brought me to my current agenda, whereupon I deny fulfillment has yet to arrive. It's very wordy, but it's it's meaningful. And I I love a lyricist who's not afraid to get wordy for the sake of really projecting what they feel and also the fact that someone uses agendum for the singular <laughs> i can respect that yeah, yeah exactly that's a true lyricist there <laughs> but also later in the album a lot of her lyrics are much more subtle and she doesn't go at all wordy she, some of her songs really don't have that lyrical depth which some artists just they'll like to throw words into every song to make it look as though they know what they're talking about and sometimes she says, you don't need that. Mm-hmm. Save Me, which is one of the tracks we'll probably talk about, is and is her most famous track. Doesn't have many lyrics to it, but it's by far her most popular track, I think. And it's probably one of her best. But the lyrics in that are very, very, very slimmed down. Yeah, and, and you're right. That That is part of the skill, is being able to use that scale in a way that works for any given song. Yeah. So yeah, so this album just plays in the background of the film and you don't realise it's there, but every time the music starts and the scene that it's playing along to kicks off, the the two work so well together. It's almost as if the the director has has said, actually I'm gonna fit this film around these songs and and so when you get to wise up and you see all of these characters in the film all singing along in their own separate worlds together, it is this really interesting moment. I I like it just as a cinematic experience. Lots of people hate it and say that's the point where Magnolia completely goes off the rails and you've got Tom Cruise singing along to this thing and all of these other actors um, who... There's a whole list of famous people in this film. So is that a split screen moment where you're seeing different things or are they jumping from character to character? It it just cuts from character to character throughout the song. And it's a depressing part of the film. So right. it kind of works nicely. And that's something that has been, it's almost become a TV trope in terms of other people have used this. I can think of things in Scrubs. I can think of things in Community where people have paid homage to that particular scene and that particular style. Yeah, and as I said before, the, this film has 
people writing essays. You can go online and start looking at Magnolia and the the detail behind it. There's raining frogs halfway through this, and and one of the characters in the film, the only character, doesn't notice the raining frogs, or at least he doesn't care about the raining frogs. And people are looking at him saying he's almost like a kind of prophet in that he knows the frogs will come and he's not bothered by this because this is part of the whole process and blah, 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 blah. Lots of bullshit written about this stuff. <laughs> but um, but the point being... Film students don't write bullshit, Henry. <laughs> no, of course not. But it's, it's, a, it's one of those deep films where there probably there is depth to it and sometimes yeah you can go well you want to if you want to go down that rabbit hole crack on if you want to take it at face value which i took it at when i was in this cannabis filled room and i couldn't work out what was going on it's just a wonderful study in people being kind of depressed and there being hope at the end of that yeah and this is the thing i think i i get annoyed when people shit on stuff that they don't personally like and try and pick it apart because you can pick apart any art you can pick apart any art you can pick apart sport for being stupid if you don't like it if you don't enjoy something move on look at something else but i think there's an element with things like this of people doing stuff that is taking a risk that could really work and magnolia as far as i can tell is one of those things where someone has taken a massive risk and it's really worked and the fact that amy mann's music is part of that and part of that soundtrack is is cool yeah plus at the end of it a load of super tramp songs come on and super tramp are amazing so um we could talk <laughs> and a gabrielle song yeah fuck that but <laughs> super tramp are cool and they really do make the movie so um anyway watch magnolia listen to the soundtrack it's wicked so one of the things that i was interested in with the soundtrack generally speaking was obviously one is quite a slow number at the start but then it kicks into this almost cabaret style jazz and country folk type sound is, is that fair to say yeah, yeah yeah there is some there is some slight weirdness there i think that's both amy man and the director just showing there's the positive spin on some mm-hmm. of this stuff and you do get that kind of cabaret kind of it's not that bad right moment in the film as well so yeah you're right it does kick in because that was one of the things that i really loved and i said this about madonna on the last episode i love thematic elements in songs in albums where one song shifts into the next song and you can hear it's almost if you aren't paying attention you can hear the two just merge into each other and the end of one beautifully drops into momentum and it has almost the same chord structure there's there's a key shift as far as i can tell i'm not sure that i'm hearing the exact right musical thing that i'm linking with the terminology but it's effectively the same sound but suddenly it becomes this more upbeat jazzy version of what's come before it which is cool and i love that yeah she does all sorts of things um she's got an album called The Forgotten Arm, which was recorded later. And it's a concept album about two characters who run off together to try and escape all their troubles and they end up in even worse problems and and life gets them down. I like it because it's firstly it's a concept album, which is quite fun. But secondly, so Amy Mann really likes boxing to the point where she went to train with Freddie Roach to like oh, wow. <laughs> learn more about boxing. She 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 loves that kind of thing. Um Freddie Roach, if you don't know him, is a massive boxing trainer in the, in the boxing world the, the title forgotten arm 
is a term I'd never heard of before, but it's one that's known in boxing parlance because it's the arm that whacks you once the first arm's gone in and cause you that kind of that initial punch so you try and block the first punch but the forgotten arm is the one that comes and lands the killer blow and so this whole album is about people reacting to that first punch and then the forgotten arm comes in and whacks you in the face so she uses interesting terms from all across culture and life she doesn't just sit in one kind of in one bubble talking about love and all that stuff she'll her lyrics are quite expansive she'll she'll disappear off into these these interesting areas. Cool. Okay, I have a couple of questions. Go for it. So, had you heard of Amy Mann before you'd seen this film? Or was this how you got into her stuff? This is how I got into it. Okay. And then the second question is, did the film add to the enjoyment of the music? So, do you think you would enjoy the album as much if you hadn't heard it all through alongside Magnolia as a film? Brilliant question. Normally, I would say that you hear artist playing in films and you think oh who is that I'll go and look them up later and you go and work out who it is and then you listen to an album for Magnolia and this is really specific to this movie and this soundtrack they're almost one thing and I don't think there's any other film that I've seen that does that so much where you take the two as a that they come together Mm -hmm. Magnolia the soundtrack and Magnolia the film they're almost just one big lump of 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 stuff so you should take these as a whole okay and i think if i heard the music on its own it would i would have got into it but together watching it with the movie it really drilled right into your into the into your core i think to the point where people still talk about it today as a as one of those movies which people talk about (laughs) (laughs) i know what you mean yeah, it's the reason why I asked is because we've we've talked about Garden State on here before and the impact that that has had on me. And there are certain elements of specific songs. So I'm thinking one of these things first is a song where as soon as I hear that initial piano melody kick in, I'm taken straight to the film scene that that is in. This does that for every single scene in the movie when there's a song being played. So it's very Garden State-ish. I hadn't thought about it until now, but you're right. Garden State puts music and the film together in a in a, in a very close way, and this is similar. So I really do have to go and see the film sooner rather than later. I should put it on the list. Yeah, I think you should. It's slightly crackers. So go in there with a beer or two, and, and it it's quite long, so uh, you might want to take a few beers into it rather than just one but um (laughs) look she's she's a really interesting artist and so she recorded that in 1999 she's been recording all sorts of solo albums ever since she keeps popping up in pop culture so even recently she's still going she's must be what 50 she's in her early 50s i'd say now so recently what 2018 i don't know if you saw the um there was that tv program the assassination of Gianni versace I haven't watched it. Right at the end, there's a dive bar that the characters end up in. And you see this person playing up on stage and, and it's just a girl with a guitar. And she starts playing Drive by the car. So, you know, the, the cover of... She covers Drive. She does it amazingly to the point where I was watching this program going, that's totally like Amy Mann. Someone's gone on and it's just <laughs> copying all that stuff. 
And then the camera goes closer and closer. And it's like, that's Amy Mann. And I was saying to Lizzie, look, it's Amy Mann. And she's like, who is the Amy Mann? And then I had to go into the Magnolia thing and she didn't understand that. And so she pops up Breaking Bad, the movie. Have you seen that? Yeah, the um, uh, El Diablo. El Camino. Camino, Not El Diablo. Yes. Yeah. One of her songs is on that too. Okay, cool. Um, Song called Static on the Radio. So she keeps cropping up and... I don't know what it is about her music. I, I think it's this combination of her independence, which has caused her to go off on this course in life, and she's not doing what the record label says. And also this very... Well, you mentioned this earlier, this very kind of... Uh, very straightforward way of talking about problems. Mm-hmm. She'll talk about them. She'll talk about mental illness. She'll talk about a relationship breakdown. And she'll say it's okay to have these feelings and so it speaks to a lot of people really quite quite well yeah yeah she seems like a, a very cool individual certainly very very much a person who knows knows their own mind but is also you know wants to be compassionate towards other people as well yeah she spoke in 2012 about hating spotify and not wanting to be on there and said it's oh it's a terrible thing for for the world but she's now totally on spotify so she must have found that it's actually giving people a lot of good. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird balance. I have a bit of a love hate thing. Obviously, we use Spotify for all our playlists. It's very accessible, but I do still try and buy albums, physical albums from bands if I see them live because that's a good way for them to get money. I think we are probably over the next five to ten years going to see a shift towards more people subscribing to artists where you pay them maybe a couple of quid every month but it's it's the kind of thing that will keep their music going long term and i think that would be that would be a cool dynamic that sort of cuts out the spotify massive there's there's this dissolving of value all the way down where the artists are getting almost nothing and someone somewhere is making a lot of money or spending a lot of money on on tech yeah, it is what well, is the the problem for the industry at the right. moment and an artist. How do you how do you make money other than right. live shows? But the flip side of that being that Six Music and Spotify Discover are probably my two main sources of new music over the last five to ten years, other than you and Neil and Max and others who regularly recommend bands. Yeah, but imagine going back to the nineties and saying you could have a, a medium which you subscribe for, to for 10 quid a month and literally any song you've ever heard just about will be on there plus all the new music that's being released right now you'll just get it i would have gone nuts except wise up wise up's not on there yeah i'm not sure why wise up's <laughs> not on there it must be some copyright thing maybe i'll see if i can find something on youtube that we can link to for that one yeah okay so I have another question for you. Shoot. Have you seen a live? No. No. And I I, I don't... Uh, do I mind about... Do I care? I, I don't think she's kind of one of those artists that you'll get a massively different live experience to Amy Mann in the flesh compared to some of the bands that, that we've seen before. She's a singer-songwriter that you can get all of the... I don't know. I think you can get everything out of her from a CD or a Spotify playlist that you can at a gig. 
see i don't know i think she'd be one of those i think she she strikes me as one of those where if you saw her at a festival you'd go in thinking oh yeah this would be nice it's amy man it'll be cool and then you'll see her and then you'll come away from the festival and she'll be like top five highlight because i'd be willing to bet the musicality in her voice things like that will come across particularly from someone that's been around for so long but still gives a shit yeah it's interesting i i don't know i've never really sought her out i wouldn't if someone said there's an amy man gig on i'd go and see it but i I would never be searching for her to go Mm -hmm. ah i need to find out when she's playing here because i don't think she provides that energy in a gig which i go to for a lot of the stuff that we go and see you on that kind of pumped up that noise right and that kind of you want to leave the gig go wow that was incredible I think with her music, it's almost reflective. And right. I don't go to a gig to kind of sit there and think, well, yeah, that's deep. I go to a gig to kind of escape. See, probably one of my all-time favourite festival sets was Sufjan Stevens when he'd released Carrie and Lowell. And that was just <sighs> mind-blowing seeing that live. But again, it's not a high-energy thing. It's a musicality or emotion that connection with an artist who even though there's thousands of you there like it feels very personal good point maybe i've missed a trick on this one <laughs> just have to hunt it down at a festival i'll uh, i'll see if i can find one for you maybe we can do a festival again after almost 20 years it can't be that long can it when was it 2003, 2003. sugar <laughs> yeah that's a long time yeah it's it's been a little while well the problem is you got married on the weekend of one of the best festivals in the uk so you know that kind of rules it out because you guys are always doing some kind of anniversary stuff yeah idiots at end of the road picking <laughs> our bloody wedding day to hold a festival punks <laughs> to, to be fair that was about their fifth when you got married so there is yeah no excuse. well yeah i'll still <laughs> shake my fist at them it's definitely their fault <laughs> Okay, so I do have a question. So obviously you've kept up with Amy Mann over the years. You've clearly listened to other albums of hers. Has she led you on to other artists that are similar or is she a bit of a standalone? That's what a question. And you know what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to cheat and go onto Spotify and look at similar artists because I don't think so. Okay. She When she, when she started her music, she was, um, she was a bit of a revolutionary. I don't know if you know Liz Fair. Yeah. She was going around in the the 90s. Her album Exit in Guyville was massive at the time. The kind of underground girl revolution, Mm -hmm. female singer-songwriters making a name for themselves. Liz Fair was one of them and Amy Mann was probably another. But I'm just going through who fans also like with Amy Mann. Beth Orton, Suzanne Vega, Liz Fair. She's in the Tori Amos. Um, Yeah, so it's all that kind of... Yeah, yeah. No, there's no one in that kind of list that I've gone on to from from Amy Mann. It's she's she's in her own little bubble. What about stylistically, in terms of the sound of her music? Is has that had an influence on the stuff that you've listened to since then? Yes, that's fair because that was something I would never have listened to before that time in New Zealand where I watched the movie. Before that. If you look at my CD collection that I had with me when I was traveling, what was in there? Uh, Feeder, Ash, The Dandy Warhols, Nirvana, Rage Against the Machine. Loud guitars! La- loud guitars. I had more Chiba in there. Mm-hmm. So 
that was the my, that was my one chill out one. Yeah. But Amy Mann was definitely nowhere near that. So for me to sit and come out of that film and go, I need to find out who this person is and I need to buy her album off the back of it. That's quite a departure from mm-hmm. loud guitar music. Yeah, and that's the thing. When I met you first year of university, you were already into some other stuff that was much... So I didn't get the impression of you as loud guitarsy band. Like, there were bits of that in your music taste, but you you were listening to things like Bell and Sebastian and, and a lot of that kind of stuff, which is really not the kind of stuff that you described from your late teens. Exactly. And you're right. I think she she must have influenced me in that style of you can get more out of music than just noise. Yeah. And especially the emotional side. Look, when you're a teenager traveling the world and you've got all sorts of insecurities coming along with you, having someone really say you can wear that on your sleeve and you can have an album which talks about that kind of thing is quite powerful when for me the only way i used to handle that was just i need louder and louder music are, are there other albums of hers that we should listen to as well or is magnolia the, the best place to start start at magnolia it's as simple as that it's watch the film as well if you can to, to pair them up all her other albums are very similar so from that point onwards they're all in the same place so if you like magnolia you'll like the rest of the albums there are little gems along the way. Her most recent album, which you alluded to, Mental Illness. The initial song, Goose Snow Cone. Ah, it's a wonderful song. Goose Snow Cone's a really weird name for a song. Turns mm-hmm. out Goose was the name of her friend's cat. And Goose was playing in the snow and ended up with a load of snow coated around the cat's head. So Amazing. Goose had a snow cone and she started singing about Goose having a snow cone. But... The rest of the album is absolute classic Amy Man. Yeah, so there was a story that I read about one of the tracks on that album called Patient Zero, which is apparently about Andrew Garfield. Okay. She met him at a party when he just moved to LA to play Spider-Man, and she clocked him immediately as like this slightly shy, sensitive character. And the song is all about the risk of not having that kind of Hollywood attitude and ambition and being susceptible to narcissism as almost an infectious disease where you don't have the capability to fight it off. And and that's how she saw him. How interesting, because that's how all of her songs, she looks for, she finds weakness in people and she talks about it. So that I've never heard that story, but it really doesn't surprise me that she's found someone who's, brittle i guess or yeah she 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 says she's a fan of him and and it was more like the fact that he was just a sensitive non-hollywood big ego big arrogance type that sort of drove her to write in that way and that leaps right back to the very start of this whole conversation back in her till tuesday days when the big hollywood producers and all other big music moguls at the time were telling her to make this this bigger louder kind of more money spinning stuff and she said that's not me I'm not that kind of person and just rejected them. So, yeah, we've looped right back round to the start. Nice. Good work. I love that. So, yeah, cool. That's a good shout. I really enjoyed chatting about her, knowing very little about her, if I'm honest. So, cheers for bringing that one to the table. I will I will definitely listen to more of her stuff. 
Cool. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And she's a bit of a, an outlier in my CD collection, but definitely one who I, I think she, she's worth mentioning just because her, her musical style is, is, is different. And some people, I, I guarantee people listening to this podcast will, will enjoy it. There will be people out there who will go, this is the kind of music I need in my life. Especially if that guy who I was talking to over the oysters could talk for her for about an hour. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. So thanks for joining us for this one. You can, as always, find us at I Might Be Wrong UK on Twitter, on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Sometimes Henry will respond very occasionally. Feel free to give him a prod on that front. We would love it if you have been enjoying our podcast so far. This is number 28, I think. So we've been going for more than six months. If you have enjoyed it, please give us a rating. You can rate us through iTunes, I think. Um, And when I say a rating, I mean five stars, please. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, thanks once again for joining us. Cheers, Henry. Thank you. Laters. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.